Welcome to the Military Child Education Coalition podcast, the show that highlights a wide range of challenges and triumphs that our military-connected kids experience. My name is Nikki Harrison, and I'll be your host today. We would like to say thank you for the support of the Mildenhall Spouses Association for this episode. Joining me today is Dr. Kristen Ogle and Dr. Stephen Koza. So I thank you so much for being with me. I'd love for you to just to tell us a little bit about yourselves. I'm a research assistant professor at the Center for the Study of Traumatic Stress, which is housed within the Department of Psychiatry at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland. And Dr. Koza? Hi, Nikki. It's great to be here today. I am a professor of psychiatry and pediatrics in the Department of Psychiatry at Uniformed Services University, where I serve as associate director for the Center for the Study of Traumatic Stress and in charge of the child and family program there. I'm a retired Army colonel and appreciate being here today. Thank you so much. So we're here talking about this Safest Strong Toolkit. I'd love for you to tell our listeners why it's important that you've put this together. Family safety is a concept that we've been talking about for quite some time now. We think a lot about family health and we think a lot about family well-being, but really family safety precedes both of those. You, We can't have healthy families and we can't have resilient families if They are families that are not practicing safely in their home and aligning with principles that endorse family safety. We also know that safety is really a resource for families and that by ensuring that families are aware of behaviors that support safety as opposed to increased risk for their families, that we make those families stronger. We know that the military is invested in safety, that many of the activities in the military are designed to keep our service members safe. So we need to be thinking about safety as a concept that is important not only for our military service members, but also for our family members as well. Talking about safety and military is important. Why is it so important? In order to raise children that are healthy, strong, capable and resilient, we want to make sure that we are applying principles of safety to keep them healthy and strong. And those principles of safety include practices around maintaining a safe home, ensuring that medicines, poisons, firearms away from children, that we are making sure that there's access to resources that families might need, whether that's food, access to healthcare services, whether families and parents are uh, aware of healthy parenting practices that can encourage the healthy development of their children, that their parental relationship is one that's strong so that they can parent in ways collaboratively that support the health and well-being of their children, and that parental mental health is cared for. So if individuals are having difficulty that can impair their capacity to effectively parent, we want to make sure that they have access and engage evidence-based treatments for disorders that could potentially complicate their ability to provide care. So those are some of the practices that are emphasized in the Safest Strong Toolkit. I know you mentioned some of those practices or even components that are part of family safety, and I know you highlighted 
home physical environment. And actually what came to mind to me is there are a lot of our military families that live on military installations. So they're in housing that's on base. And so I started to think about a time where we were in housing and there were some safety practices that I think we should have been doing that we weren't quite aware of. And I think this is great for our military families to think about some of those things. I'll give you the example. We lived in a two-story house and we lived in California where there's a lot of wildfires. And it hadn't dawned on me that we needed fire extinguishers and blankets. And how about a way for my kids to get out of the second story in the case of a fire? And so I would think that this is part of what you're talking about when you're looking at the Safe Strong Toolkit. Yes, it is. And I think you make a really good point that the principles of Safe is Strong might vary depending upon the location and circumstances of any individual family. But this idea of conceptualizing family safety as a broad concept under which there are a number of important practices, we think is unique, that very often conversations about safety focus on very specific safety practices in families. And here we're talking about all the different elements that are required in order to keep families safe. And maybe Dr. Ogle can talk a little bit about the components of those practices. One of our, our goals in developing uh, this tool was to shift the focus from advancing understanding of the various risks and challenges that military families often face to developing strategies to reduce the risk of harm and other adverse outcomes in military families. The tool that we've developed is designed to support military-connected families with infants and toddlers by both educating parents about the various factors that influence the health and of um, their families, including many of the topics that Dr. Koza just mentioned, as well as by providing a collection of resources for parents that include recommended actions they can take to strengthen the health and safety of their families. The flip side of that is that we also intend for the tool to be used for healthcare providers and other professionals who work with military families with young children to assist providers in identifying families that could benefit from additional resources, as well as helping those providers direct families or connect families to essential services and resources to address various areas of risk. Does the toolkit have some sort of screening tools or checklists or something like that, that when they're working with families, that they can go through to evaluate all of these different components of safety? So there are particular topic areas within some of the domains that do provide tools that can be used by providers. I'm specifically thinking about the parental suicidality section of the site. Most of the information, however, is moving upstream. It is more targeted toward parent education as opposed to the types of screening tools that providers would use directly with their families that they serve. What it does do is it provides best practices examples. So it, it gives parents information. There's so much information out there now that parents are trying to wade through to understand what is it that I need to be doing for my children. And here, the goal was to provide simple links to trusted sites that would give definitive information about these important topics without overloading parents, but addressing areas that we know are high-risk areas or potential high-risk areas. How is it that families should be storing firearms with children in a home? 
how should parents be managing children when it comes to access to, to water, the risk associated with uh, children who are unattended with water, and what can they do? What are the principles behind that? Because uh, research has shown that one of the challenges, one of the reasons why parents don't provide the level of supervision at certain times is just because they don't know. They don't know what they need to be doing. The goal here is to provide that information in a way that is easily accessible and is coming from trusted sources like the American Academy of Pediatrics and other sources like the CDC that parents can believe and understand are reliable and they're not just being pulled off the internet. One other point that I think we should make about the resource and why it is that we're focusing on young families is because, first of all, this is not new news to many of the military listeners, but that over 40% of active duty children are under the age of six and 75% are under the age of 12. So these families are young and they have young parents. And often those young parents are less mature, may not have the same level of experience, may be distanced from extended family that in other circumstances would guide young parents in parenting their children, making decisions, and keeping themselves safe. They may have access to limited resources and limited knowledge about child development. So there are some vulnerabilities in our young military families that could impact safety. So the goal was recognizing those challenges, providing information that could allow them to continue to keep their families safe and keep their families strong. I think that's so important to start with the parents. Parents are key in safety practices. And I know you mentioned one of these risk factors is water. And there's so much research that's been done talking about water and the danger of waters around toddlers and infants as well. However, it still remains the number one cause of death of children between the ages of one and four. And so I guess my question is why, with all that we're taught about protecting our children from water, why are those deaths still happening? The research really points to poor parental education as one of the primary contributors to young children's risk of drowning. There was a recent U.S. National Water Safety Action Plan specifically addressed this issue as one of the central risk factors and specific to children under the age of five who are more likely to drown in a swimming pool in the context of unsupervised water access. And the Consumer Safety Product Commission recommends that parents never leave a child unattended near water, also installing appropriate barriers to accessing swimming pools whether they are on an individual's property or public swimming pools, things like locked gates, pool covers, alarms. Also, learning how to perform child CPR. When you're a parent of a young child, this is identified as an essential skill. And then critically teaching children to swim as early as possible. I think those are fantastic tips and so important. I think sometimes there's that thought as a parent that nothing's going to happen. Oh, they're not interested in that. It's fine. Or I even think in the case of bathtubs, I think, oh, if I'm just going to go around the corner five seconds, I'm just going to grab something really quickly. And it just takes a few seconds, right? It really does. Even with the swimming pool, it just takes that one time, right? The other, yeah. the other important point there, I think that 
you mentioned, Nikki, is that many parents don't really understand motivations of children, that young parents may not have a full grasp of the kinds of motivations that young children might have in terms of curiosity and exploration that are natural and normal, but that can put them in situations that place them at risk. And water and swimming pools are exciting and interesting, and children aren't going to appreciate the potential danger associated with them. Similarly, matches or certainly other more serious children finding firearms in a home and not parents thinking that either children are not going to explore or find them or they're not going to be curious or that they will simply pay attention or obey directions from a parent when we know under circumstances where children are exploring the world, those limitations do not always keep children from exploring and potentially putting themselves in harm's way. It really becomes important for parents to understand the critical importance of their setting limits and limiting access to dangerous items in a home and recognizing the fact that's really their responsibility and something that we all need for parents to be doing for young kids in order to keep our family safe. I think those are great tips. And I know we're talking about infants and toddlers, but as someone that has older children and has lived near the ocean for years, I always think about older kids having that superhero syndrome as well when it comes to water. You know, I take my 12-year-old to the beach who can swim. You know, he's a strong swimmer. He wants to get in the ocean, but he thinks he can go as further out, you know, as far out as I got it, mom. I got it, mom. And I'm like, do we have it though? I have a, there's like a, a line that he can't cross when we go to the beach. You, you make a great point. And, and I think something, a message that's embedded in Dr. Koza's uh, description there was this idea that children's risk is not static. It's dynamic and changes as or evolves as, as children age as their physical, social, and cognitive capacities develop. And oftentimes, parents fail to appreciate that risk is evolving in nature. So these examples we've been talking about, the high rates of unsafe firearm storage, high rates of drowning in children are just two great examples of oftentimes what is the parent's failure to appreciate those developmental changes. Parenting is a rough job, right? It's We're trying to keep kids safe, but we're also trying to give them the space they need to explore the world. And striking a balance between those two things can was not always an easy thing to do. So we recognize the fact that they're not always simple or easy solutions for some questions, but for some questions, there are simple and easy solutions like ensuring no access to open water or water, period, for young children and not allowing children access to firearms in the home. So those are pretty clear examples. But other things like walking down the road, walking to the neighborhood supermarket, those are the kinds of questions that parents need to manage. And we don't want this program to be misunderstood as an attempt to dictate parental decisions around day-to-day -day safety when, in fact, they really fall in the realm of gray areas, like how much do you allow a child to do? And some of that is developmentally dependent for any particular child. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point to bring up. As someone who has a teenager, every time he backs out of the driveway, I'm concerned about safety for himself and for others as well. So that's just, you're right, it evolves as our kids develop. 
So we know that our military families are highly mobile and they're moving on average every two to three years. And most of the time they're moving to areas that they've never lived before. So it's a brand new environment. How do you incorporate some of these safety practices in that new home, that new neighborhood, whatever it may be? Some of that might have to do with getting to know your neighborhood and getting to know your home and what the inherent risks are that exist there when it comes to principles and practices around the home physical environment. It may not be an individual family's determination, but understanding exposure to lead, understanding exposure to and ensuring access to clean water and asbestos-free environments. And there have been times where installations have had difficulty with exposures in those circumstances. And there's been great work that's been done to try to remediate that. It's really understanding the environment that you're living in. You raise the issue of relocation and also thinking about deployment as like stressors for families. And if I think of that within the context of our, of our toolkit, what I would say is they can be stressors for parents in terms of being able to manage their own stress and not have that impede their ability to parent their children in ways that they feel good about, that we want we want parents, even under stressful circumstances, to be able to engage in practices that allow them to regulate their emotions, to ensure that they can resolve conflicts within the family that don't expose children to a lot of arguing and, and, and potential more serious domestic situations that could really be upsetting and problematic for kids. So monitoring stress levels, doing things that relieve those kinds of stress levels, and a focus on healthy parenting and modeling of behaviors around self-regulation and conflict resolution can really be helpful for kids in terms of keeping them staple and keeping the whole family safe. I think that's really important to highlight. So what are some general safety tips for our young families? I know you mentioned a little bit earlier the importance of parental education, and I think tips really help with that. For example, our, our website includes resources specific to healthy parenting, which cover a broad range of topics, including uh, skills-based training specific to conflict resolution skills, anger management, problem-solving skills, improving the effectiveness of your partner communication, as well as information to help parents access marriage counseling. And a lot of the information provided in this section of the tool is very skills-based. For example, one of the resources we provide focuses specifically on conflict resolution skills designed to help parents identify or discriminate healthy versus unhealthy responses to conflict, as well as learning strategies for how to resolve conflict in more constructive ways. I think that's great. And I think those are important pieces that parents need to know because conflict comes up, especially in our, our military families, I think, where there is a high level of stress because of transitions, deployments, separations. There's so many different factors. I do think that education and training seems like it's very important. So are there some other resources that have been specifically designed for military families? I know the toolkit talks quite a bit about that. Some of our partners, including Zero to Three, 
as well as the new parent support program also target this population, specifically military families with infants and toddlers, and have their own complementary resources. I'm, I'm thinking of a an app that's been developed by Zero to Three that's des- designed to improve partner communications among parents where one parent is deployed. They want to stay apprised of the developmental milestones that their infant or toddler is hitting and is really designed to keep those relationships strong so that when the service member returns, there's an attachment that's been formed and maintained during the period of deployment. The other resource that's available and embedded in primary care is the Healthy Steps program, which works with young parents in addressing their parental questions, ensuring that children are meeting their developmental milestones, and walking parents through the early part of a child's life to ensure their their safety and well-being. Resources both on the medical side as well as within the community that military parents can reach out to. The Safe is Strong program is intended to be embedded and used in any of those areas. These are materials that we believe complement many of those programs. And our focus, again, is really a strength-based program or a strength-based approach where We see safety as a strength in families, and ensuring that there's a focus on safety keeps our families strong. So we recognize and appreciate that there are challenges that can get in the way, and the goal here is to identify challenges and target those resources specifically to address those challenges so they don't impede the safety within families. I think there's just some great resources, and as you were talking about a few of those, you know what I... I thought about is mentorship and I thought about mentorship in regards to parenting and having others. I know you spoke about families are moving around and maybe there's not that immediate family member or extended family member that's in close proximity that helps guide some of those young parents. And I thought about how helpful it could be and would have been even for myself is to have some sort of mentorship from maybe parents who have been there, done that, and they help guide you and support a little bit. I know there's some of that after you give birth in the hospitals, they have support programs and things like that. But as our kids get older, it, the needs change. And so I don't know if what you thought about an idea of a, a mentorship program for parents. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. I think new parent support is largely intended to provide mentorship to young parents And there are other programs available that provide parenting tips to families. The other thing that I think happens, and Nikki, you may be able to speak to this more as a a spouse in the military, but just the informal extended family relationships that occur with other spouses within the military. So the community itself, I think, lends a certain amount of mentorship. It's a more informal system, but I think it traditionally is a way in which particularly young parents probably get information and help. They can call their parents or extended family that are at a distance and connecting in those ways is certainly easier than it was 30 years ago, but still having someone on the ground that can provide support, spouse networks and things like that, I think certainly lend a hand and probably are more evident in unstructured ways than we might even be aware of because they're not formally described in the way some of our other our other pro- community-based programs are. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. The military community is very close-knit and tight, 
and we create a system, kind of a families amongst our ourselves that are, of course, non-biological. So it is a great way to have that. I know that I've done that. So, <laughs> so that's a great point. So in closing, I would love to know how a community could assist in creating a safe environment for families. I think there are a number of ways that the community can support the health and well-being. First of all, I think there's a lot that goes on starting at the installation and the command level in ensuring that the neighborhoods and the housing itself is safe and that there's access to important resources within the communities. The infrastructure of the community that I think is actually quite good in most locations may be a little bit more challenged in more remote locations, but that all is, I think, an important investment in the health and safety of our military families. I also think that the importance of having a network of interested parties throughout where family safety Family health and being is a goal. There's been so much emphasis on within the military in uh, identifying the importance of families, uh, not only to for the families themselves, but also to the mission. I mean, that, that families are essential to the mission. And having recognized that, I think that investment in families has um, certainly increased significantly over the past 20 years. But knowing that families can reach out knowing that there are resources out there, that there are people that care about them, having a network, a helping network in which families feel like there are people that they can go to if they get into trouble, all serve as, that's what community is all about, right? Having, you know, we can all manage when we're doing well, but when we're struggling and we're having difficulty, knowing that you can reach out to the community and you, those needs will be responded to, I think, is, is a message that underscores the value of our military families and children. And when that's present, I think it reinforces everyone's sense of well-being and sense of safety. Absolutely. I think it takes a village. I want to thank you both for being with me here today and chatting with me on such an important topic as family safety is. And I think it's really great to start with our parents of our young children. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you. I'd like to thank Dr. Koza and Dr. Ogle for their time today, as I've really enjoyed our conversation and talking about the Safest Strong Toolkit. Thanks for listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, and give today's show a five-star rating. And don't forget to leave us a comment on topics you'd like to hear more about. We'd like to give a special thanks again to the Milden Hall Spouses Association for supporting this episode and Consentus Media for audio mixing. I'm Nikki Harrison, and until next time, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Be kind.